0: What does healing mean to you?
1: I can be still and fully present with myself, my past, and my now.
2: Revealing Voices, the Mental Health Podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers, We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And we are Revealing revealing voices. Voices. We are recording on Easter Sunday. That's right. Easter Sunday. It's been a beautiful day. Mm -hmm. I set out looking at a lake thinking, it's the perfect temperature, Mm. and I love it. Sunshine, Mm. no wind, the sound of kids laughing. My wife and I spent much of the day cleaning
0: skunk off my dog who found it fun to frolic in the woods Yeah, (laughs) on some dead animal. We assume it may have been a skunk,
2: and then... uh,
0: we won't go, go. We won't go into what other messes
2: she made. Th- this is the same dog that ate a vial of CBD oil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be another day, another conversation. That's right. I will ne- never think of CBD oil quite the same after you told this the right. story, Briley, You're a fun dog. But yeah, it's it's been a good Easter. You know, we were reflecting on, on what Holy Week has been been like. Every year at our uh, commons downtown, there is a ecumenical Easter service. And so I went this year with the kids, my mom and Jen, and uh, I met the new director of the ecumenical assembly. I introduced myself, so I did a little bit of work uh, with Love Chapel and uh, had helped launched the Brighter Days homeless shelter. He said you wouldn't believe it, but about half of the people who stay at the homeless shelter have full-time jobs.
0: We ran the numbers and it is entirely possible if you are a one wage earning person, family, at minimum wage, either you're going to need shelter or live in substandard housing. Columbus here in Indiana is is uh, certainly not a ritzy neighborhood, but it's it's not a cheap one either. Uh, but he that said they've been surprising. averaging about
2: thirty people a night, which yeah. is a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, for Columbus it would be. On our program, we're going to talk with Dawn Adams, and she mentions working with Indianapolis, and she didn't have the latest census numbers, but just the people she reaches out to and would you say three camps, Mm -hmm. were at least 40 Mm -hmm. every Sunday, and more than that, some Sundays, it is hitting everywhere. It
2: was a good service. I I like Good Friday. I think a lot of Christianity these days doesn't want to sit in the pain and the despair of what Good Friday means, you know? I mean, it's almost uh, an oxymoron to call it Good Friday, because it's actually the day that Christ was crucified, which is um, a bloody mess. It's ugly, and it's capital punishment. It's a dark day. I don't know if it's my personality, but I, I appreciate that, the focus on that, and really reading through the scriptures, the silent prayers, just the time of reflection from various pastors around the city. It is it is a solemn event, and in a way, it is kind of like a funeral. Yeah,
0: it's hard to approach a Good Friday service on this side of Easter, isn't it? Mm, because that's right. we know the end of the story, you know. <laughs> and so it's hard to put ourselves back in the shoes of the disciples. He died and they scattered at that moment when he uh, died on the cross. That was, that was it. Mm-hmm. It's hard for us on this side of the cross and knowing that, you know, that was one step toward God the good news (laughs) that's right
2: but really when you think about daily life and the struggles we endure there are a lot of moments that are despairing moments and and we have to know that in our own lives there are those Easter's those resurrection moments Mm -hmm. you know where new life will emerge we don't know what it's gonna look like good point but but the faith in Christ is that new life happens
0: Yeah, and you know, for mental health purposes as well, we do ourselves a disservice if we're always living in a false sense of Easter, if we don't Mm -hmm. travel through the the grief of Good Friday that does arise in our uh, emotional and relational, spiritual lives. That's right. In order to get to a place of of new birth, Mm -hmm. of ourselves, we can't maintain new birth. <clears throat> we have to rely on um, dying to self and That's right. living to Christ.
2: So, Tony, I, I know you were in Cleveland yes. recently at the... Uh, Inclusion Fusion. Yes. Yeah, yes. Key Ministries This was is, a, uh, con- con- a two-day conference.
0: Yeah, two-day conference, uh, Inclusion Fusion. And uh, Key Ministries is a ministry I've become involved in through their Facebook page yeah. and following... Uh, some of the group that's involved in that went up there, and my friend Brett and I, and we sold some books and met you some had a,
2: people. You had a table there,
0: we had a table, sold a few books, and met some people mo- mostly involved in special needs ministries, mm-hmm. but also some tangentially in mental health. Sure, basically, the vision of Key Ministry is to equip people, ministries, churches who are opening the doors for all God's children to worship together mm-hmm. according to their special needs. Yeah, that's a
2: uh, that's a good ministry. <clears throat> so you, you sold some books. I did. You've had some good reviews <laughs> recently. Can we hear one? <laughs> Eric's trying to key me in
0: to this. Yes, cue me in. So I've been promoting my book in part to pay for my closing on my house. All right. <laughs> and... Uh, I've come back in touch with uh, some former ministry colleagues. This was from the Reverend Bob Simmons, Robert Simmons, and he was a pastor in the town of Cochranton, where I was serving when I was first diagnosed. Yeah. And this is what he wrote. What a wonderful gift from God you are. I love your devotionals and simply couldn't put your book down. Nearly every page spoke to the broken sections of my life and breathed healing and hope. I'm also sharing your book with those the Lord has sent into my life that struggle with mental illness of one kind or another. Mm. And he goes on to quote 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Mm-hmm. So, Pastor Bob, Reverend Bob Simmons, he's now in Phoenix, Arizona. I think he's retired. Very inspiring in my own journey and in the faith journeys of many. Yep. Know. So, if you're listening, thank you, Bob, and I really appreciate his, your words. His words
2: ring true, Tony.
0: Thank you, sir. It's been a blessing.
2: So, my good news, Tony, is the Columbus Area Chamber of Commerce Mm -hmm. gave two awards to the Pleasant Grove Pollinator Park for um, innovation. Mm -hmm. This was like a Shark Tank-type event Mm -hmm. called Ignite Columbus, and so there were five innovation presentations, and Rachel Cavate, who is the landscape architect, presented. She won uh, for Most Innovative Idea. Rachel then won the People's Choice Award because there was another category, so there were 10 people total who presented, mm-hmm. and so she was people's choice for the, the 10 also. So anyway, mm-hmm. 1,500 towards our park. Mm-hmm. I continue to be really excited. I, I've been outside today digging in the dirt. I have two new service berries in the yard. Yeah. I love it, man.
0: Service berries are something of a signature bush here in Columbus, right?
2: They, um, they, they are a native plant. We have 10 down there at the park. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll be making some muffins soon. Yep. Service that's berry right. muffins. Well, very nice. So now
0: we're going to bring on Don Adams. Yes. Don is director of Food for Souls. Food for Souls in Indianapolis, ministry with and for people who are homeless, Mm -hmm. people in homeless camps, serving them food and uh, bringing resources of Christ's love and compassion and presence.
2: Yeah, meeting basic needs and serving as a referral agency is a big part of it, and organizing many churches to to volunteer and and make a difference in, in folks' lives. As you'll hear, they really go from like first encounter at a Camp all the way up through seeing them to um, a home, right? Mm-hmm. That that whole arc of someone's journey. Don will
0: share one success story. We won't upstage it, but you know where there's even a family reunification involved. People in families that were disrupted have a chance to come together on some level.
2: Mm-hmm. We touch on mental health. She is very clear that she is not a mental health provider. Mm-hmm. But but speaking to the condition of some of the people that she encounters, uh, as well as the way she interfaces with you know mental health care systems mm-hmm. to to support. And she's very articulate folks. about her yeah. faith
0: and also the the great need of if we are going to address homelessness, we we need to address it as a, a mental health crisis. She'll talk some about the statistics and what she's seen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Don, you're a bold woman. Thank you for what you do.
0: Great. You could be with us. And now let's roll to Don. Okay, so we have with us Don Adams, and she's going to talk about her ministry at Food for Souls. So Dawn, would you tell us about the mission of Food for Souls?
1: Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me here today. And Food for Souls, we actually have been around since 2012. So we've been doing what we do for quite a while. And so how we started off was just a group of volunteers, but our mission we quickly put into place. So we simply just go out and serve with unconditional love and acceptance. And we provide hope in Christ. We meet daily needs and we align resources for those who are ready to move into a life beyond homelessness.
0: And how long have you been with Food for Souls?
1: I actually was one of the very first, I I was the very first one in the group that went down in 2012. And I actually became the first employee at Food for Souls as well when they became a nonprofit in 2013.
0: Mm. How did you find out about the effort?
1: There was a gentleman within the church that I attended that was going down and visiting homeless camps for quite some time on his own, but he knew he couldn't do it forever by himself as the homeless population was growing. So he decided he wanted to get a band of people together with him to take them down, show him where he was serving. And so another gentleman in the congregation asked, can you join us as part of this group to go and visit the camps and see what it's all about? And I said, sure. And I can't tell you why I didn't hesitate and said, let me think about it, but, I didn't, I said, sure, let's go down. And that's how I got started.
2: We have a new shelter called Brighter Days. I played a a small part in building out the space. It's a former fire truck garage and then just have very intermittently volunteered for a few hours. Just from that slight exposure, I I know it's a very big ministry to, to lead and to stay committed to. Kudos to you for being so committed To food for souls. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is difficult at times for sure, but we always want to make sure we remember why we're doing it, why we began and why we continue to do it. And it's definitely not for us. It is Mm -hmm. definitely to be present with the people that we're serving. Um, No matter how hard it gets, we are there to simply serve and to love and to help them get to the next step, or maybe uh, in a position where they can move forward out of their homelessness. Um, Also, you know, help with whatever they're facing, whether it be addiction or a mental health disorder that they're um, trying to cope with.
0: Help us get an understanding of the the scope of homelessness in Indianapolis, uh, who you are currently serving. I know on your uh, website video, it mentioned homeless camps Mm -hmm. and uh, that you are serving. Can you throw out some numbers or give us a sense of the scope?
1: Currently, we serve three homeless camps in downtown Indianapolis. And we do go to those ha- homeless camps every single Sunday. And out of those camps, we see on average about 40 to 45 people. And do we see new people every week? Not every week, but occasionally we do. As the temps warm up, uh, we do see more individuals coming out. Um, so the, the needs will be greater. The numbers will be greater. Uh, and as far as the numbers, though, for us, that's what we face. So With those numbers, we also serve meals on Sundays, and we have served 17,000 meals uh, since conception back in 2012. So just from that number alone, you can tell that uh, we've served quite a few people, and at times early on, we were serving up to 100 every single Sunday.
2: What other ministries or organizations do you encounter, you know, partner with as you are serving this population?
1: We tend to see people coming from different churches. Um, Some of those churches are ones that we actually partner with. And the reason we partner with other providers of service, such as Wheeler Mission or Horizon House, uh, Eskenazi Crisis Unit, Mm -hmm. is because they have more of an understanding of the mental health side of things and the addiction side of things, and they are educated in that area more right. so than what we are, because I am not here to say that we are um, educated with a background and, and a certified you know, addiction specialist or mental health specialist. So we don't pretend to be something we're not. We are simply there to partner with those ser- providers of service so that we can better communicate what we see in our end going on and Let them know so they will know how better to treat them or assist them in their area of need.
0: How did God lead you into the ministry of food for souls?
1: (laughs) That's a great question. So when I was mentioning, I didn't hesitate on saying yes and going down and serving. After I said that, I went home and I started thinking, what did I just say? Why did I say yes? Because I had no idea what homelessness was besides the stereotype. And I thought, what am i even going to say to the homeless individuals once I get down there, really? I am not going to relate to them in any way. So I thought, okay, you know what? We're going to still go. We're going to go. I don't know if this is something God wants me to delve any deeper into. Did I feel led to go down? I can't say that I feel led, but I knew that we were called to serve and to love. So as soon as I got down to the first homeless camp, I was a little on edge but I quickly felt a peace come over me and I knew that was God right there with me saying, you know what, you're here for a purpose and a reason. And so on, as we wrapped up our day and went home, we kind of debriefed and I quickly knew um, from seeing the expressions on the individual spaces from hearing stories that they shared with me from seeing the state in which they were living in a tent seeing and their mental health disorders and, and knowing the addictions that they were facing and trying to handle. I was like, wow, this is not something I can't just leave behind and forget. Right. And it quick, quickly came to me and touched my heart that there was more to do than just leave it behind. And it was to take that next step from that moment on, I knew God had called me into a service that I never believed. <laughs> but right. he would have told me I, I'd start doing, but he did. And you're
2: seven years later and you're still around.
1: Absolutely. And and you know what? I love it. I love it even more.
2: What had you been doing before that first time you went down to the camp?
1: I was actually in healthcare for 17 years. Okay. Uh, it was more of just insurance and billing and collections, but I was around people. So... You know, I, I saw mostly elderly individuals coming in. We saw other things present with mental health and, and other sicknesses. So
2: I'm imagining you probably didn't go from being in your medical services career to where you're at today overnight. I mean, this might have been, what, a year transition, maybe more. I'm just wondering about the arc of that change, how, how that worked for you and how God continued to call you in in a deeper level Absolutely. To, to where you are now.
1: Yeah, so there were a lot of things that I had to learn, right? I have never, never been exposed to that type of professional or type of work uh, when it comes to dealing with individuals in directly with mental health and addiction. You know, right. I saw it, I saw them, but I never had to be hands-on in the healthcare field as I am now. So I think just the emotional impact that it made within me, that was something I needed to figure out how to deal with. Right. And to not, I don't know if I would say deal, but somehow I knew I couldn't just sit and be sad. So there was a moment where I realized that the profession of serving people directly, meeting them where they were at, was taking a toll. The emotional impact is wearing on oneself. That is something mm-hmm. I had never experienced before in the former profession that I had in healthcare. Yes. Um, I think it was more of really, truly feeling what that person was going through, truly seeing where they were living and just being there with them. Um, I t- kind of took it upon my shoulders and I kept it with me um, because it's hard to erase what you've seen, hard to sure. erase what you've heard. And yes. of course, me, a fixer, wanted mm-hmm. to fix Everything, you know, but and that was emotionally wearing on me because I couldn't fix it. And so what I just wanted to add to that as a believer, I had to understand I'm not the fixer of things anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, Christ is the ultimate, ultimately the one that fixes things and transforms people, not me.
0: And yet, even as a believer who has these faith reserves, uh, helping hurting people can deplete our emotional energy. So what do you do when you feel discouraged and depressed?
1: I had to learn what that meant, how to take care of oneself and recognize when I was truly feeling depressed and discouraged, because I have faced that um, over the past couple of years. It's a very lonely place and it's a very dark place. And so really uh, what I had to do was just sit in the moment and look at it to understand it. I had to to realize that I had to change my habit and pattern of thinking about where I was and how to get past where I was, right? I had to think differently in order to take that next step. Mm -hmm. Um, How I take care of me now, whereas before, I make time for myself. I gave myself permission. I really have taken time to get deeper into the word, Mm -hmm. to really have space, allow myself space to heal and allow myself just to say this is time for me to stay focused and not think about what I need to be doing and also just that outlet of self-care as far as working out um, and taking care of yourself physically I started kind of health coaching as well and hearing successes from those that I health coach makes me feel better so that feeds my soul
0: One of the ways that I find replenishment is to get involved in and hear the stories of people whose, whose lives I've, you know, I'm touching. So without giving names or identity, can you share a story of someone you've worked with in
1: this ministry? Oh, absolutely. I would love to share this story because this is a story I share over and over and over And it is truly a story that touches my heart. And it's very uh, personal. So I can give you actually the name, his his street name. How about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's given me permission to do that. So his name is L.A. He is a gentleman with a huge story. And, you know, I always tell people we all have stories. But his Mm -hmm. story is one that I'm truly privileged to share. So I'm so glad you asked if I had one. So I actually met L.A., back in 2012 and he was living under a bridge in a tent and he was homeless. He was addicted to alcohol. He was frail and he was living in in poor conditions and he was pretty much hopeless. He didn't come out of his tent to visit. He didn't talk much to anybody. And when I did see him inside the tent, his eyes were glassed over. He didn't even feel human to me. And so at the time he was living in an area called the salt mines and again, this area felt very dark. It was hopeless. It was just hard to be in. And so one day I just kind of felt a nudge to go over to his tent and he was sleeping. And and I just decided to wake him up, you know, because I knew for some reason I, I felt that nudge to go over there. So. Anytime I did that, he was, you know, groggy because he was drunk. He was hungover um, from drinking too much the night before. So I talked to him, you know, for a short time there in the beginning, and he just pretty much listened to me. He didn't have much to say. Over time, we started praying together. I thought, what now is happening? He's talking he's praying with me. So I knew something was definitely changing, right? And every time I would go over there, you know, I always – hollered from from afar, hey, hey, L.A., and to get his attention to wake him up because he knew I was coming because he started asking me, when are you coming back? Mm -hmm. So I knew there was something, again, happening. I just didn't know, and he didn't know what was about to happen. So basically, I would just go, and I would sit at the foot of his tent, and there was debris and trash and whatever around it, but I didn't care. I looked past that because I was there to see L.A., and so, you know, before long, we, we quickly became close friends and we had an immediate connection. And he began just gradually opening up about his past, telling me about his family, asking me questions about me and my life, even. Mm-hmm. And, and then he he began asking for a Bible. I was like, yeah, I'll get you a Bible. We'll, we'll sit down. We'll read reading scripture together. So he, he, you've got to know something about L.A. He loves to read. He can tell you numerous authors, numerous books. The man loves to read. So I was on board with that, but I noticed he was starting to get a smile back on his face, and he was looking forward to my visits. These were great changes, I I felt, um, in his life, but they were huge steps, right, for this man that once was filled with hopelessness and darkness and loneliness. So – after about a year after meeting him, he decided he was done.
2: What kind of frequency would you see him? Are you seeing him once a
1: week? Or what? I was seeing him yeah. once a week, absolutely, on Sundays okay. when we served. Sure okay. was. And so about a year after that, uh, he decided he was done. He was tired of living the life because he said he was too old for it. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. he, he, so he, what he did is he decided he wanted to go into recovery, and he started discovering things about himself that he had forgotten about. So over these next few years, you know, I started seeing L.A. truly transform his life. And when I say over the next few years, that's what it took a few years. He Mm -hmm. started working part time. He started riding his bike. He moved from recovery over to the next set of housing, which was still a recovery setting. It was an apartment he shared. And, you know, it wasn't always the best of times over those few years. There were a lot of hurdles but with his determination and the continual help from Food for Souls and our presence, he got back on track. This is the cool part. He was able to reconnect with his family.
2: Nice.
1: And, and meet his granddaughter for the very first time. Wow. is that amazing? So today, present day, I'm, I'm really happy to report that, that my friend, L.A., mm. is now continually sober, almost five and a half years now. Wow. He's living in an apartment, and he's happily retired. And he—if <laughs> you guys could see him before to today—yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm, I have tears in my eyes as I'm talking. He's mm. a wow. He's a totally different man. Wow. I'm almost gonna cry here. He's uh, smiling a lot. He's smiling hey, hey, a L.A. Lot. You got it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know he. Yeah. he He's hopeful again. And let me tell you, that man loves ice cream and he can eat ice cream like nobody's business.
2: Oh, that's good. And,
1: and mm. you know, when you asked about how often I saw him, well, I'm still seeing him weekly. Mm-hmm. We we weekly for coffee. We run errands and we truly cherish and look forward to seeing each other mm. every week. It's like a rock in our schedule. It really is. And And I have to add one more part of the story. You asked for a story. It may be a little lengthy, but... Hey,
2: go for it. I'm wrapping
1: it up. (laughs) I'm wrapping it up, but this is so important because it speaks to his life, my life, and everyone's life. He shared with me something that that touched my heart, and he stated that I saved him from the streets, and I quickly told him, no way. God did. Mm -hmm. God directed his footsteps and set all of this into motion before Either of us knew what was about to occur in either of our lives. So if someone would have told me I would one day be part of a puzzle in helping a homeless man find hope and become a close friend to him, I never would have believed it. Mm -hmm. So as a pastor once said, this is great. God weaves us into his story and connects us with people we never seen coming. So I love that God brought L.A. into my life, and I am so blessed to be a part of L.A.'s story
0: praise God. Well, I like how you've really identified his soul. I would think sometimes with working with a homeless population, what little I've encountered, uh, that, you know, the glossy look that, well, actually, let me frame it as a question. When you started your ministry, uh, what kind of stereotype, what kind of vision of a person who is homeless did you carry with you and how, uh, in what way has that evolved to where you are today?
1: Yeah. So when I first started, you know, the age old question, Well, why can't they just get a job? Right. That's right. I hear that from so many people that that's what I always asked. And the stereotype was obviously what I thought was at the time before I started with the ministry was, why, yeah, not only can they get a job, why can't they just do something? Why don't they go get a shower? Why don't they clean themselves up? Why can't they go, you know, why can't they just go somewhere and do something? Gosh, I was way wrong. And you know what? I always thought they didn't care. But you know what? The huge turning point when I finally realized the stereotypes were completely wrong was when I finally delved further into the ministry and and working with them one-on-one. I learned that they are people who who want to change. I learned that they were people who didn't need to get a job yet. That was the farthest thing that they needed to do. Mm -hmm. They needed to just be able to feel safe. They needed to be able to find the correct help with maybe their addiction. They needed to find and be connected to resources that could help them just let alone get a birth certificate or an ID that would allow them to get to the next steps before getting a job. And also... The mental health piece in this, so many people, 80% of the pop I would say 80% of the population we serve, you know, or suffer from mental health or an addiction. Mm-hmm. That right there needs to be addressed before they take any steps further in getting off the street.
2: Do, do you find that uh, those who are diagnosed are able to find medicine to pay for medicine to stay on schedule i mean how much of a struggle is that
1: well there is a struggle to it because we can never force anyone into getting treatment the availability for care and the availability for prescriptions to help treat mental Mm -hmm. health is available it is there but we can't take them where they aren't ready
0: to be. Well, that's an excellent point. A part of the brain disease of several is this lack of insight that often people don't see the need or actually fear the repercussions of taking their meds. And we don't quite understand that, do we? I mean, it's like, you know, if you have an illness, you take your medication, you get better. There's a quote that I wanna read to you from the Sacramento Bee. Sacramento evidently has a very profound crisis in homelessness, and the quote goes like this. This is not a housing or homelessness crisis. This is a mental health crisis. Housing does not cause our communities to need to rake the grass in parks before children play to pull up hundreds of needles. Housing is not going to help the paranoid, poorly clothed, manic, or paranoid schizophrenic. In fact, the symptoms of these illnesses will cause the homeless to refuse to remain indoors and to accept help or treatment. What have you seen in Food for Souls that might either challenge that person's perspective or... um, that you might be challenged by
1: it. Um, I actually do love that quote. Mental illness, you know, it really does tear people apart, families apart, and and people do end up on the streets. And I believe that uh, once again, we do need to look at the mental health state of our homeless population mm-hmm. yeah. first and foremost. Because housing, yes, it is it is a a need. It is a requirement. It's lacking resource that we have, but I feel like until we tackle the subject of mental health, um, and if that is the true cause of why they're out on the street, I feel like we're going to continue to see homelessness rise, because I feel like if we house them, then great, they're housed, but then what? If we don't look at the mental health aspect of things, we're going to have those people right back out on the street.
0: Yeah, you you bring up an important point, and those of us with mental illness often try to shatter the stigma about who we are and what we can do, uh, and not limit ourselves. But we can't deny the reality that some who are undertreated or not treated are violent persons and do respond aggressively. Have you ever felt unsafe on the streets?
1: You know, to be honest with you, I really, <laughs> I never have, um, it's something That, that, that is I
2: remarkable. I mean, that is very remarkable. Yeah.
1: Well, let me tell you why I say that. It's because when you are coming at it from an angle of being very compassionate and loving someone, that is the farthest thing from your mind. Maybe that's not the smartest way and safest way <laughs> to approach it, but, but you know what? I, I, I don't think about that. Maybe I should. But also to go along with that... I, Food for Souls does want to make sure that not only myself but our our team leads and our and our whole volunteer team and staff are educated and trained. If if they do run into a situation, what are the de escalation techniques that we can put into place to help maybe de-escalate whatever it is that we're facing? Right. Whether it be someone coming into a, a, a mental health breakdown, what do we do? What's the next step? So no, I really have never felt unsafe before.
0: Wonderful. So you're saying you have sort of a naive compassion
2: then, right? I think that's the
1: perfect way. Yes, perfect to describe
2: it. How many people are on your team uh, of volunteers?
1: Yeah, so we actually have several volunteers throughout the year. We only have maybe, gosh, on a steady basis, that means people that are repeat volunteers, I would say 20. Mm -hmm. But we have numerous volunteers throughout the year. As far as a staff, we are two full-timers and one part-timer staff. And we have amazing team lead volunteers that go down pretty much every Sunday.
2: I know there's no typical day. I mean, there's no doubt that every day is going to be its own adventure. Could you just describe a a day you had recently uh, for our listeners
1: I'll tell you what, uh, it is definitely, like you said, something different pretty much every day. Um, as a small nonprofit organization, there are a lot of hats to wear. Um, at early on and up to about two years ago, my role was everything. It was from the operational side of things to the fundraising to the direct outreach on the street to going into recovery and visiting our recently housed folks. It was everything, getting volunteers, making sure we had food. So thankfully um, and prayerfully, we were able to find the right person to come in and be the director of outreach for us. So her days are filled throughout the week, again, always changing. She could be have something listed on her schedule for the day to do, and it doesn't get done because... Someone has contacted her from the street or one that has been recently housed that says, I need to be dealing with this today. I need help. I can't get there. So she steps in and provides that transportation if they don't have a bus ticket because it's a doctor's appointment they cannot miss. So something is always changing. But as far as where I am now, it's just making sure the organization is functioning and running and making sure we have people there and in place to do what they're supposed to do. Um, It's continually building those partnerships with organizations and churches and businesses and companies and and whomever it may be. How
2: many church partners do you have in the Indianapolis area?
1: I believe current we have about six different partners. And when we mean partner, what do we do? We actually either one, we receive prayer support from them. We receive financial support for them or we receive actual people coming down, volunteering in the camps with us on a continual basis. We also have um, church partners that provide food because when we feed approximately 45 to 50 people right now, we can't just pull that out of our hat, right? We have to right. have people aligned and ready that will help us. And, and that's, that's not always an easy task, but we have great church partners that step up and do that. And they're also wonderful about... Filling in the needs when we have them. So if we're running short on supplies or resources, we ask. We put the ask out there, and they're good about stepping up and providing that.
0: So That's your great. ministry really begins on the street with the food and and hygiene products and those sorts of things. But from what you said earlier, it 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 extends beyond that into when they do find homes or when they're ready to get off the streets. Uh, it sounds like you you had you're prepared, and through your outreach, you do sort of like faith-based casework.
1: Yeah, actually, it feels like we kind of do. you're right, Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, we do start off with those uh, toiletries and those clothing, the basic needs. those are met. That's those are life sustaining, right? A lot of times. And so that's really important. And we, like I said earlier on too, we build that relational capital with them. So we just really know who they are. Like from Sunday to Sunday, we can sense when something's different, something's going on with them. So we are really good also about reporting any changes in behavior, moods, um, reporting like paperwork that they even need or something that needs to be signed. We report that and communicate that with our service providers. So we have wonderful partnerships with them and we count on them um, when it comes to communicating because the better communication there is, uh, the better assistance that our friends are gonna get.
0: For those in the Indianapolis area, how can individuals and churches best support Food for Souls?
1: So the best way to support Food for Souls within the Indianapolis area, really I would say to get on our website, Find out more about who we are. Watch our videos and our stories. Educate yourself in that arena. So our website is www.foodforsouls.org. Another great place to...
0: And that's the number four, right? It
1: absolutely is. Thank you. Yes, it sure is. We get a lot of (laughs) misspellings, So thank you for pointing that out. Yes, they can also find us on Facebook as well. There's a Facebook page, Food for Souls. Uh, We post a lot of what's going on. Um, some follow-ups, some events that are happening. So there are always good opportunities to engage in um, and finding out who we are.
0: For our listeners outside of the Indianapolis community, what steps would you recommend taking to address homelessness from a faith-based perspective?
1: Get online, get together with organizations and become educated in what homelessness is. Um, Become an advocate if you can stand up once you look at this and you think, gosh, this is, this is something I want to delve more into and you are passionate about, become an advocate. We need more voices in this area. We need more assistance in helping our, in, our friends without homes. And I, I also say to seek out organizations that are already doing this similar work. Partner right. with them, right? Collaborate. Don't try to do it on your own because a lot of times when that happens, you're duplicating resources and a lot of things are going to waste see what those true immediate needs are and, and find out who's who's doing what and trying to see how you can tackle it together.
2: Don, I want to ask you, what does healing mean to you?
1: I love this question. When I hear healing, the first thing that comes to mind to me is it means a time where I can be still and fully present with myself Mm -hmm. my past and my now it is a time I can be honest and and really reflect upon incidents that have that have taken place in my life how I dealt with them and how I overcame Mm -hmm. I think not just in the past but even now in the season I'm currently in I I tackle different emotions that I may be feeling or issues that I'm facing and and I just allow myself to stop and navigate through the firing range of thoughts in my head, and and I really try to take captive the negative and, and the worry and and the what ifs, and I look towards the positive, yes, and the joy true. and the why not, and I really give myself permission to indulge in the moments of stillness, and mm-hmm. without these times of being still and, and fully present can't heal. It is within healing that I found that one can really refresh the spirit, Mm -hmm. the soul, and the body. And that's that's what I feel like healing means to me. What has
2: working with the homeless population taught you about healing?
1: It takes time. Yeah. And it takes patience. And it takes persistence. And it takes love. Mm -hmm. Loving yourself. I think a big part of healing is allowing yourself to be loved. And that's why we really base everything that we do coming from the relational standpoint, developing that relationship so they can get to know us and trust us and knowing that what we're doing is out of love and no more.
2: I'll
0: add one more to that, which is has working with food for souls contributed to your own healing
1: that's a tough one tony
2: well i heard you say that it's really challenged you to get past your natural inclination to want to fix so there's something that's happened there that's been healing i think
1: (laughs) yeah i i know i can't fix it absolutely now and i learned that over time as much as i wanted to fix somebody the challenges that I faced through working with the individuals out of food for souls, I know didn't allow me to fix it, but I continue to love. <laughs> I think healing through working with food for souls, I say the re- I can't fix things. You're right. I figured that out, but I also seen figured out that I need to slow down take a look at what's important and what's not important. Um, Mm -hmm. Healing for me always, I'm sorry, I really felt like I was always stressed because I had to do this and that and fix that and and get that done. But working with the homeless population has made me understood that they're not in a hurry and and I have to be patient. And whatever Mm -hmm. we're dealing with, we need to deal with as as time allots and, and as steps are taken. You know, I just have to kind of go with the flow. So healing for me meant that it's okay. That it's yep. okay to take time through it and to work through it. And it doesn't have to be done when it needs to be done or fixed when yes. it needs to be fixed.
0: Well, thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: Thank you so much. You guys, seriously, though, thank you so much. This was awesome.
2: Tony, Don Adams is fearless.
0: Dawn had a lot of good things to say about her friends who happened to be on the streets and in homeless camps and how she was led into that ministry in almost a happenstance sort of way.
2: Mm -hmm. That's not the kind of ministry you'd expect someone to just kind of walk into and find themselves ready to be equipped and and just march forth, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. The level of contemplation for that, for most people, I would think would take some time to really feel comfortable.
0: I think it's very uh, indicative of, of her approach to ministry. You know, it's very similar to the early disciples who, you know, Jesus said, come follow me. And they had no idea of a job description. They just followed and they learned on on the job training. That's what she has done very quickly, thrown herself into the mix. And seven years later, she's still doing what she's done so well.
2: The level of safety that I think a lot of people need in their life is threatened by, I think, the homeless population in general. I was really amazed when we asked her where it was almost like she didn't, it didn't even register as something that she needed to be concerned about almost.
0: No, she was very confident when we asked the question that had she ever been afraid. She didn't miss a beat. I think two things. One is that I think it speaks to the level of training the organization has Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of preparing people. They're not going to take chances and go where there would be threats to their well-being. But it is also indicative of someone who's living within God's will, within harmony with Within right. God's will, we just have less fear. Right. You know, I think people going into prisons for prison ministries, mm-hmm. um, people who work on psych centers.
2: Yeah, we all, we all have very different risk tolerance mm-hmm. in our life. Don, thank you for for being as bold as you are and as confident Amen. as you are. This is truly a calling for you. It's very evident in what you speak, and and, and the love you have for those that you serve. So Amen. thank you. Well, Tony, this is uh, wrapping it up. This is the time where we do ask people to uh, share our podcast on their social media networks and also to go to their uh, preferred podcast provider and uh, write a five-star review for us. That's
0: right. We have 22 five-star reviews, and this is just one example. Tony and Eric are the peer counselors of the air. They offer a program that is equally valuable to those who are Christians and those of other faiths or no particular faith. As someone with bipolar disorder who has facilitated a church-based support group for 17 years, I deeply appreciate the way they express Christ's heart for the suffering. Thank you, Romans 12.2, our reviewer, and we hope that you may be led to share Those of you out there who feel also blessed would share a review as well.
2: It it does help. Five-star reviews do help. You don't have to write a review uh, if you don't want to, but just rating us five stars is is great.
0: That's right. We could use the opportunity to reach more people with good news uh, for troubled minds.
2: Yes. Well, Tony, that's a wrap. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don. Until next time. See ya. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, RevealingVoices.com.
0: Your dog ever do pet therapy on the streets? <laughs> his, his attention span is pretty
2: much
1: gone. Span, his, his span, yeah.
2: I love it. I love it.
1: What he, kind of dog you He wants you to be interviewed.